Glory to God. Glory to God. Do you still believe whatever God has done, God can still do? Come on, I need you to tell your doubts. I need you to tell your fears. Tell your worries. If God could do it, God can still do it. Amen. Amen. Since I got you right here, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dismiss the, the worship team here for a moment. But don't, don't go anywhere to shed. I'll, I'll let you go back to your seats in just a moment. Just stay right there. Just stay right where you are. I'll let us go back to our seats in a moment. But I might as well just start this sermon right here. And, and, and let's, let's, just, let's just not ignore the elephant in the room. Let's just call it out. Rev Dev preached a word last week. Okay, that, <laughs> I couldn't help but think, man, this dude wants my job. He slayed that message last week. If you didn't get to hear it, please go back. Do yourself a favor today. There's no football anyway. Go back and listen to that message from last week. It was powerful. It was life-changing. But I also want to say this because this is still my job. I was feeling the heat. He was on my heels. But what you're going to do is you're, you're going to help me be the best ber- version of me today by pulling out of me what God has placed inside of me. And you do that by faith. You do that by not just sitting there with your arms folded, looking at your phone, falling asleep. You do that by responding in faith to the word that God is delivering to you today. Amen. And then you'll leave this place saying, yeah, devil's good, but pastor, good Lord. And it won't be because of me. It'll be because we pulled the best out of each other. And if you don't think that is true, give them that, give them that video there, uh, Karina. I, I'm sorry. Yep. Y'all, y'all, y'all got a mom like this? Right? Come on, smile. Anybody, anybody got someone in your life that in the moment you did not appreciate at all and you didn't recognize how great they were, but later on in life, you're like, I'm so thankful I had somebody that saw the best in me when I didn't see the best in me, believed in me when I didn't believe in me, and when I needed it, took me out back to whoop me a little bit to remind me there's a better me inside of me. All right, all right, all right, all right. Hey, man, you can go back to your seats. I'll go back to your seats now. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. What I, what I don't want to do today, what I, what I don't want to do is I, I don't want to be irresponsible as a pastor. What, what I don't want to do is, is to be uh, derelict in my duties as, as a minister of the Word of God. And, and what I mean is this. Today I'm going to push back a little bit against that, that ideology in our culture that just simply claims this. And maybe, maybe you've heard this, maybe you've at some point in your foolishness said this. Ready? Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm trying to push against today with this message. Anyone ever heard someone else claim, or dare I say, you've said, I don't need anybody? Okay, maybe it wasn't you, but I've heard someone else say it, right? Okay. I don't need anybody. Well, well say what? Remind me, did anybody get here without somebody? Nobody is here today without somebody. I don't mean you didn't physically show up into this place. I mean you didn't physically show up on this planet without somebody. 
So at some point in your life, you needed somebody. And if you are in this room today and you know you did not get here on your own and you're grateful for the somebodies God placed in your life, can I just get a handful of people just to put their hands together and just thank God for the somebodies you placed for this nobody in my life? Amen. All right. Now, now that, now that we've got that out of the way, let's get our... our Catholic calisthenics, and let's stand for the reading of the word. Stand with me. Because Rev Dev set the tone last week, he only had one Sunday. I've got multiple Sundays, so I'm going to ratchet this up, okay? He gave you an overview of the book of Joshua, so I'm going to start to break it down a little bit. Let's start in Joshua 2. Joshua chapter 2, and I'm going to start by verse 8, and this might seem awkward at first, but we'll get there, all right? Joshua 2, verse 8 says, But the spies went to sleep that night. Rahab then went up on the roof to talk with them. She said, I know the Lord has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og. I don't have time to talk about this, but if you love anything about, about giants and reading about the Nephilim in scripture, Og was that king whose bed was anywhere from 13 to 18 feet long. This guy was one of those men of renown. He was a giant. And they heard what the nation of Israel did to a giant king whose people were, com- they completely destroyed them. Verse 11, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Can I get just somebody to testify? My God is the kind of God that strikes fear in the hearts of my enemies. So now she says this. She says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all their families. Verse 14. And the spies said this. He said, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Verse 15. Since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, literally so she was built into Jericho's walls. This is what you do with, with, with the people you don't want in society. You build them on the outskirts. Okay. So she, her house is built in the town wall, so she let them down by a rope through the window. And before they left, the men told her, when we come into the land, verse 18, you must leave or literally bind this, check this out, scarlet rope, this scarlet cord, and hang it from the window through which you let us down. Verse 21, so she says, she says, I accept your terms. And she sent them on the way, here it is, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. Okay, now just before you're seated, do I have any 90s babies in the house? Any 90s babies in the house? I don't even mean you were born, I just mean you, you lived through them, okay? There we go. Okay, you lived through, there we go. All right. To the 90s babies in the house, would you just look at your neighbor, because you're going to help give them my sermon title for today, all right? Look at your neighbor, and in the words of, of the Friends theme song, look at them and just tell them, it's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, 
or even your year, but I'll be there for you. If you believe what they just said, do you say amen? Okay, amen. All right. And, and, and just before you're seated, just before you're seated, would you also just look at them, just look at them and give them the sermon title that I considered, but I had to ultimately drop. Look at them and give them this. If I were you, I'd take precaution. That girl is poised. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, you can be seated. You can be seated today. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord. 90s babies know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, okay. Why did Pastor just quote to me two different song lyrics? Here's why. I want you to see that both the lyrics of both these songs are, are teaching us a, really the significance of developing the ability to recognize a relational asset from a relational liability. I'll be there for you. That girl is poisonous. I'm recognizing there is a, a difference. I'm learning to develop this ability to recognize I've got relational assets in my life. You'll be there for me. And I've got some relational liabilities in my life. I've got, I have got to learn to recognize and decipher and, dare I say biblically, discern between the two. So I'm going to give you five things today, and I'll try to be as quick as I can, but someone say, yeah, right, okay? All right. Number one, the scriptures are clear about this. God uses people, and Satan uses people. Anyone who is serious in your life, if you're serious about accomplishing God's plan and will for your life, you will recognize you can't be your best self by yourself. This is why I told you to help me with this message today, because you can help me be the best me. Okay, so, so you recognize I can't be the best me by myself. I, I recognize it because I want to do God's will. But on the flip side of that, now I'm going to be, hear me, on the flip side of that, not everyone that you claim is best for you is actually God's best for you. They might be Satan's best for you. And we must learn to develop the ability to discern between the two. Now, here's the thing. We don't get to choose who God uses, and we don't even get to choose who Satan uses. But we get to choose which one uses us. I, I need some people to wake up your praise today. Don't let Satan use you in this service. You get to choose which one is going to use me. And is there anybody that still prays this kind of prayer? God, use me for your glory. I still pray the way. God, use me for your glory. Every day, I pray at noon and at six. And every, every time I pray, this, I always pray this. Lord. Sometimes my prayer only lasts like 10 seconds. But I always make sure I include, God, use me for your glory. And then I got to go on doing whatever it is that I'm doing. But the whole point is, the reason I pray this way is because I know in this Bible, there is a God who used Noah to save humanity from a flood. And if he can use Noah, he can use me. There was a God who used a man named Moses who was a stutterer and a murderer. But Moses led the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. So if God can use Moses, God can use me. There's a, there's a teenage boy named David that God uses to deliver the entire nation 
nation out of the hands of a giant named Goliath. So if God can use a teenager, God can use me. When I look at this book, God will use a sister named Deborah to save a woman named Deborah, Deborah to save the men from the hand of the Canaanites. God will use a woman named Esther to save the entire nation from annihilation. What I'm trying to tell you is God will use you for his glory if you let him. Because I know this above all else, God used a man named Jesus to die on a cross in my place for my sins. And today, I'm living redeemed. Today, I'm living righteous. Today, I'm living separated unto God. Because someone prayed in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. Use me for your glory. So you need to know if God could do it then, in the year 2024, God is still in the business of using people for his glory. If that's your desire, put your hands together and say amen. Hey, let's say no. That's my plan. Plan on letting God use me for his glory. Second thing I want to tell you is this. If God uses people and Satan uses people, second thing I want you to tell you is listen, don't get it twisted. God is the source. People are just the resource. Oh, shoot, I just got labeled as a resource. Come on, you know you only use me when you need something. I'm just a resource. Hallelujah. That God can use me. The source can use me as a resource for you. It feels so demeaning for you to say that. Really? I want you to consider something. Consider this with me. Okay? If God is a source and we are only the resource, then here's where I think we, we get it wrong. Because we begin to think that God is, is limited into then only using his resources. Right? And so what we end up doing is we start, we start treating people who are only supposed to be a resource like they're the source. And, and then what ends up happening is, is we subject ourselves to abuse and we sub subject ourselves to exploitation and we subject ourselves to, to people using us but not for glory. For vanity. For sinfulness. And God is trying to tell you today, this is why it's, you're mistaken. Because they're a resource, but I remain the source. So I want to tell you today that if God is your source, then it doesn't matter whether they stay or whether they go. Because you know, whether they come or go, God will always, as the source, will make sure I have every resource that I need to do what he has called me to do. And I came to just remind somebody here today, if God has something for you, then it doesn't matter who leaves you, because God will get it done for you. Come on, if God wants you in the room, you'll get in the room. If God wants the door closed, the door will close. If God wants Impact Church to own its own building and own its own property, then it doesn't matter whether or not you want to get behind the vision. God will make it happen in God's time because God is the source. You're just the resource. And can I encourage you today, stop wondering when we're going to get a building and start giving so we can get one. Pastor looking like Pee Wee Herman. Let's fight. 
Different time. <laughs> Here's my point. You only get to decide if you will let God use you. You only get to decide if you will let God use you to help us. But I need you to know, you don't get to decide if it gets done. If you're still waiting on me for a building, you're going to keep waiting. Because I'm not the source. But when God says it's going to get done, it doesn't matter whether you contribute or not. When God says something is going to get done, it's going to get done. Do I have anybody that still believes God still opens doors that no man can close? Do I have anybody who believes God will, God will close those doors that no man can open? Do I have anybody that still believes when man steps out, that's when God will step in and he can still get it done? Can I get a handful of praisers to put your hands together and just declare with me in this place? Let them go. They're just a resource, but the source remains with me forever and ever come on and praise them this is when god steps in all right i'm trying to at the same time i'm trying to hurry you know what i mean let me say this uh, and, and i'm going to be careful here but be real careful someone say pastor be careful okay because i'm getting ready to say a thing that if you're only dating impact but not committed and in covenant with impacts. Oh, this is going to offend you. Too late. Okay. All right. Here, let me say it like this. Everybody, someone say everybody. Everybody is equally valuable in the eyes of God. Can I get an amen? Okay. So everybody is equally valuable in the eyes of God. Okay. So that means whether you're working on Wall Street or you're working on a street corner, you are equally valuable in the eyes of God. That means whether you, you have a, a bachelor's degree, a PhD, 98 degrees, no degree, you are equally valuable in the eyes of God. If you graduated magna cum laude, if you graduated summa cum laude, if you just barely graduated, thank you, laude. We're all equally valuable in the eyes of God. Now, that wasn't too offensive, right? But I'm not done yet. Just because people are equally valuable in the eyes of God doesn't mean that they add equal value to you. Mm. Okay. We're all identical in the eyes of God. He sees us the same as his children. I'm not talking about his creation. I'm talking about as his children. Those who have received Jesus the, the pastor who tries to live holy and the person who sits on the back row who's just struggling from day to day just to live right. He loves us the same, sees us the same. So we are identical, but we're also different. We're, we're identical in this. We're similar because we all need grace. Testify. We all need mercy, which is new every morning. We, we all need to, to, to remember that we are made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. So we are similar. We're also different. And there's a huge difference between my value in God's eyes and the value that I bring to you. Come on, somebody. 
Do you realize that I can be loved by Christ? In fact, I'm so loved by Christ that he died for me. But I can also be so dysfunctional that I can be killing you. This is the difference between my value in God's eyes and the value that I add to your life. Come on, who are the people in your life right now? You know Jesus died for them, but Lord, if you don't do something quick, they're about to meet their Savior because they're killing me. So they're equally valuable in God's eyes as you are to God, but they don't add equal value to your life. And this is why I believe Solomon, we're, we're reading, if you're doing the, the daily reading with us, and even if you haven't, I want to encourage you to start with us. Just jump in and start reading the Word of God with us every day. And part of what we're reading every day is from this book called Proverbs. It was, most of the Proverbs were written by the wisest man who ever lived excluding Jesus, and his name was King Solomon. And King Solomon wrote this one time in Proverbs 13, 20. He said, walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise, so I become like who I walk with. Ooh, equal value to God, but don't add equal value to your life. I become like who I walk with. And notice what he says. He does not say a fool suffers harm. He says a companion of fools suffers harm. So I don't have to be a fool to be harmed. I just have to be connected to one. The companion of fools suffers harm. Well, that's old covenant, pastor. Fine. Paul says something similar in the new covenant. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Look, look, look. Bad company corrupts your good character. That means you can have good character, but your good character can be corrupted by bad company. How many of us at one time in our life were living right and living holy and walking with God and then we started getting around the wrong people and we started compromising our standard and compromising our values and compromising our beliefs and our good character was corrupted by the company we kept. So if everybody's equally valuable in God's eyes but everybody does not add equal value to me, then I have to gain this ability to discern who are my relational assets. There might be children in the room. I had to really, really think I was going to say this. I want to say in my relational a-holes. Now he's really offending me. A, I didn't say it. And B, you just need to realize who they are. They're a liability in your life. Whew. So in order for me to discern something, I believe that we need more than just our senses. Come on, too many of you just operate in your five senses. What I can see, what I can hear, what I can taste, what I can touch, what I can, what I can feel. Your feeling is not your discernment. And that's why some of you get suspicious about other people because you feel something, but you haven't learned how to discern a thing. 
Discerning is, is, I believe, supernatural. You need more than your street smarts. You need supernatural discernment. You need, you need even more than your experience. You need supernatural discernment. What I'm trying to tell you is you need God. Because God can see what your eyes cannot see. And God can hear what your ears cannot hear. And listen to me. Sometimes your relational blessings are going to show up in your life looking like a prostitute named Rahab. And I need spiritual discernment to be able to recognize, what is this woman doing in my life? I should not be hanging out with this lady. Come on, somebody. Let me give you quickly four types of relationships, and I'm going to talk about Rahab. These are four types of relationships that we all have, and we all have to discern who they are. Number one, parasites. Whew. You've got to learn to discern the parasites in your life. According to Webster's Dictionary, a parasite is a living organism living on, in, or with another organism in order to obtain nutrients, in order to grow or multiply. Listen now, often in a state that directly or indirectly harms the host. So in other words, the parasite is someone who lives off of you, but doesn't offer anything back to you. Oh, Lord, don't let me get on your lazy baby daddy. When God called Adam, before he gave him a woman, he gave him a job. And he told man, work. Work it. And then I'll give you something to work with. I, I just came to tell you, honey, if you're working, you're, 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 you work yourself stupid so he can sit home and play Xbox. You parasites. Ooh. I better come off that. Come on, somebody. Man, pastor's just offending everybody. Bring Rev Dead back. Bring Rev Dead back. Those parasites in your life, you know what I'm talking about. Those neighbors who are stealing your Wi-Fi. <laughs> Offer nothing back. At least help me pay the bill that keeps going up every month. Those parasites in your life, dare I say American politicians on both sides of the aisle that are always raising my taxes and not giving me anything in return. 2024, vote King Jesus, amen, come on. I'm kidding. You can do whatever you want. But the parasites in our life, we have to learn to discern them. Second thing we have to learn to discern is our partners. Partners. Partners are the people who will come alongside us, and they will aid us, and they will assist us. They will help us become someone. They, they will help us accomplish something. In Paul's case, if Barnabas won't do it, here comes another partner, Silas. If Timothy won't do it, here comes another partner, Titus. So partners are those people, basically, that they, they come into agreement with our assignment. But you need to hear me. Just because they're your partner now doesn't mean they'll stay your partner. And you have to be able to discern when it's time to bring them in and when it's time to say adios. God bless you. I hope you make it to heaven. Come on, somebody. Partners. This third one's going to be rough. We have to, to learn to discern the predators. 
Those predatory relationships usually offer us something that we're vulnerable to. And they will feed that vulnerability. So what do they do? They give you attention because your husband hasn't given you any. They give you affection because your wife don't want anything to do with you anymore. They, 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 they are those people that are so fun to hang out with, but why is it every time we leave the restaurant, I'm always the one stuck paying the bill? The predators in my life, and here's what you need to know. You are, you are both flesh and spirit. In fact, you are more spirit than you are flesh. So here's what happens. Purpose will appeal to your spirit, but predators will appeal to your flesh. And here's how you know if it's a predatorial relationship or not. Because you're trying to hang on to it, and God is trying to separate you from it. Right? I I didn't expect to get too many hand claps. But for those of you that are thankful that when I tried to hold on to a predator, my protector came in and pulled me away. Can you just put your hands together and say, thank you, Lord. Now help me, Lord, to discern any future predator that might just appeal to my flesh, but not aid in my purpose. I doing Okay. Sure thank Well, thank you, RevDev. Yeah. Me and RevDev up here, amen? Last thing is this, and this one is most important, and you'll find very few of these. Last one is this. I pray you become this. You need to discern your promoters. <sighs> promoters are those people in your life who they help you gain access and attain places you could never gain access to or attain on your own. Promoters are those handful of people in your life that aren't just trying to get something from you. They're always trying to encourage you and remind you who you really are. They're trying to elevate you. They're they're trying to build you. Listen to me, some people want to keep you down. Most people don't care how much you succeed until you start to surpass them. Promoters are those only people in your life that want to see you promoted, that want to see you elevated, that want to see you go higher. And promoters are rare because there's nobody else like them in your life. They're rare because only they want to see you in rare air. Promoters. If you have a promoter in your life, can you just say thank you, Lord? Even if it's only just one, thank you, Lord, for that one person that isn't a parasite or a predator or even just a partner. I've got a promoter in my life. So if a person adds value to your life, if we were looking at this from a monetary standpoint, we would say that person's an asset. They're an asset to my life. They add value to my life. And assets can be very rare for many of us. Very, very rare. And here's the thing that I've learned about American culture in 2024. We have come to that place in our culture that we don't even recognize rare. Okay. In our culture, we are so oblivious and so used to common that we don't recognize rare. We're so used to the parasites and we're so used to the, the predators. We're, even, we're so used to having plenty of partners that we don't even see when a promoter steps into our life. And so we end up treating rare like it's common and treating common like it's rare. Come on, somebody, you need to help me out with this. It's when we mismanage 
and we reject those rare relationships that God has sent to our lives, that we are actually mismanaging and rejecting God's divine provision for our lives. And the reason that this happens is because sometimes God will bring a relational asset into your life and it shows up looking like a prostitute named Rahab. What? Here's what Rahab represents. She represents the help that you need, but she'll come in a package that you didn't expect. If you're taking notes, just write this down. God uses whoever he chooses. And if my grammar's wrong, God uses whomever he chooses. I don't know. All, all, all I know is that God, when he, when he chooses someone, he will use someone. And who God uses is because God chose them. That's all, that's all I simply know. So here's this prostitute named Rahab. And, and if we know anything about prostitution, we understand this is an immoral lifestyle. This is a godless lifestyle. Tommy, when I was reading the text uh, about this, I recognized that they were in her home, which means she wasn't running a Holiday Inn probably. Don't Google the word brothel. Just trust me. That's probably what it was. So she, she, she lives an immoral lifestyle. And then as we just read, she also lives in, the, in what we talked about last month, in this place of rejection. Why? Because she, her house is literally built into the wall at the very edge of society. So she understands immorality and she understands rejection. But something about meeting these men and hearing about their God causes this woman to go from being a culvert to being a convert. I, I was a call girl. Now I'm a convert because I believe what these men are saying. And in fact, here's what I love about this woman. Because not only did she have, have faith in the old covenant, but there's something about this new covenant that any time we see faith in the old, we've got to point it out. And James, in the new covenant, James 2.25 says, likewise, wasn't Rahab the harlot justified by her works, by her faith and her works? When she received those messengers, she didn't send them any other way. She received them. I need you to know, Rahab might have been that kind of woman who gave up hope that her life was ever going to turn around. But God had other plans. Can you just take five seconds and praise God for the other plans he had for your life? So here's what happens. I got to hurry. I got to hurry because more people are leaving. They, they like RevDev. They're getting out of here. Just before, just before Joshua and the nation of Israel entered the promised land, what Joshua did is he sent these two spies. He sent them in to recon the land. He said, you need to go in and recon it. Go, go in and do reconnaissance. Scout it out. Now, here's what I need you to do for just a moment, because what I'm going to say next, I don't know if I haven't already offended you enough. This is going to get you, it's going to get you right down to your shoulder. So, so take off your religious hat. Take it off. Because everything that is religious ain't always right. And, and the two spies, here's what they were told to do. Let's give it to them real quick. Joshua, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it. Emmanuel, so I don't get accused of extrapolating something from the text that doesn't exist. I'm just going to read it. Joshua 2, 1. Then Joshua secretly sent two spies from the Israelite camp to Shidem. That's not the part that's going to offend you. You can read it however you want, whatever your English says there. Okay. Whom? Who? I don't know. 
shied him something else. Like, well, I don't. He instructed them this. That's not the offensive part. Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Told you, man, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it. Oh, Lord. Joshua told them, go scout out the land. And they coincidentally end up at the house of a prostitute. Hmm. Well, they Rahab. Whoa. And then the scriptures say, and they were like, oh, oops, how did we get here? No. It says they stayed. <laughs> oh, Lord. The Bible's amazing. I don't know why you don't read this book more often. They stayed there. Pastor, better make a point. Here it is. Point four. And you better hear me. Satan is always trying to use your impulses to undermine your assignments. Come on. I have no idea what the proclivities and the, and the, and the, the sinful desires of these men were. All I know is they were told to go scout the land. And they, they made a pit stop at a prostitute's house. I don't know why. I don't know, I don't know how. The Bible doesn't tell us. However, we do know this. We do know that Satan is always trying to exploit our weaknesses. Because if he can exploit my weaknesses, he can ruin God's plan and purpose for my life. But aren't you grateful? Every now and then there might be an Achan that might mess it up for everybody. But there also might be a couple, a, a couple of spies that, 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 that screw it up. And aren't you thankful that God doesn't allow all your mistakes to mess up all of his plans for your life? Can you just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, yes, the spies probably should not have been going to a house like that. But since God already knew where they were going to go, I serve a God that makes sure you get to the right, wrong place. Somebody who's hearing me in your spirit needs a shout right now. Because what you recognize is this. Maybe, just maybe, God made sure that you were in the right, wrong place. Oh, how do I know that? The place was wrong. But look at where it caused you to be now. Because if it was the wrong, wrong place, you might be dead. You might be exposed. You might be living a life that's in ruined. But because it was God's hand at work, you ended up in the right, wrong place. And somehow, what the enemy meant for evil, God still worked it for your good. I need somebody to lift your voice. Come on, let the enemy know. You meant it for evil. But my God will take what you meant for my destruction and God will repurpose it and he'll use it for my good. All right. I'm not done offending you yet. Hold on. Last point. Last point. I'm sorry to wrap this up. God wants us to, to ultimately use Rahab's conversion as an illustration. Okay. 
this prostitute who is now converted to Yahweh. Now, she's choosing. I didn't even read it to you in the text. She could read it. She chose to protect these, these spies. She hid them away when the, when the guards came because they heard spies were at her house. She kept them hidden. She's a prostitute, so we know what she does for money. Here's an easy book. Just sell these guys out. And she protected them. Hmm. See, sometimes relational assets show up looking like something you weren't expecting. So I need you to see, God is using her conversion as an illustration that our past does not have to control our future. I just need some people that are just in this, at this place of realization. My past controlled me for so long, but the hand of God redeemed me. And now no matter what I did or where I was or where I've been or how I acted, it doesn't have to control my future. What God did not do, Rev does, is he did not give her a scarlet letter. He gave her a scarlet cord. Now, I realize what I just said might be lost on some of you because you have no idea who Nathaniel Hawthorne is. You have never read the 1850s novel, Scarlet Letter. What is he talking about? A scarlet letter is the symbol, if you will, of our sin and our shame that is worn upon our body. In this case, in the novel, the lady wore the letter A in scarlet letters, in red letters, all the time so that everywhere she went, everyone knew she was an adulterous woman. Word everywhere. This is what God did not give you. He didn't hang your shame around your neck. He didn't expose you for everyone to see what you've really done. What he gives you is a scarlet cord. The scarlet cord symbolizes the only thing that can cover all of my sin and all of my shame. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Somebody in this place needs to just remind the enemy here today that there is nothing in my past that is stronger than the blood of Jesus in my presence and over my future. Come on, somebody. I I dare tell Satan today, how dare you, devil? I tell your haters, how dare you, haters? And I even tell church people, how dare you church people ever suggest to me that my sins are greater than the blood of Jesus. Here's what Rahab said to the spies. She said, listen to me, I have saved your lives. Now when the time comes, you need to save mine. I need you to save my life. Let's give them that, that image real quick because here's what she did. She let them down. With, no, not the other one. She let them down with the, with the, the rope. Out the she let them down out that window. It might have already been up there. She let them down out the window. But here's what they told her. They told her, leave that scarlet cord in your window. Leave it there. I've, I've helped you escape. Now you better make sure that I find protection and salvation uh, when destruction comes. So they say, leave the scarlet. You see it? What color is scarlet? Red. So Rahab leaves the red rope hanging out of her window. And when the nation of Israel begins to invade Jericho, what they see on her house 
says, do not touch this house. I see red. She wasn't there the night of Passover when God told them, kill the lamb, take his blood, and smear it on your house. Put it on your doorpost. That was the Passover for the nation of Israel. So when the death angel saw the blood, saw red, it had to pass over. Here's what I came to tell you. This was her personal Passover because in that moment, when they saw red, don't touch it. When they saw red, ignore it. When they saw red, pass over it. When they saw red, protect it. When they saw red, that belongs to God. I can't put my hands on it. And I need somebody to pause right now and throw up your hands and remind the devil the whole reason I'm still here is because when Satan saw my life, he saw red. He saw the blood. He saw Jesus covering me. And he had to pass over. Someone declare, you can't touch this devil. I'm untouchable because of the red blood of Jesus Christ. Woo. All right, I got to wrap up. I got to wrap up. Got to wrap up. All right, now we can get another image. I'm sorry. That last image. This is an image of the Ark of the Covenant. If you read through Exodus with us and you're now in Leviticus with us, firstly, if you're in Leviticus with us, keep praying and keep asking your questions and keep thanking God that you don't live under the old covenant anymore. Ooh. But in the ark, I want to point this out real quick. The ark of the, of the covenant that we see here, the ark was this, this wooden box that was overlaid, overlaid with gold. The box we see. The poles in place so the priest could carry it. On top of the ark was a lid. This is called the seat of atonement or the mercy seat. Two angels sit there because God said this. God said, you will have no graven images of me. I mean, you, I'm so much God, you can't shape me. You can't limit me. So never make an image of me because I'll be so much more than an image. So instead what he says is go ahead and put two angels on top in a mode of worship so that we all will look and recognize anytime I begin to worship with somebody else where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. So the angels, the cherubim that cover, these angels represent God's presence. But that's not my point. Thank God for the ark. And thank God for the mercy seat. My point is look at what's inside. Three things inside that symbolize the greatest rebellion of the nation of Israel. You have the Ten Commandments that symbolize their rebellion against God when they made a golden calf to bow down and worship. And Moses came and took the original ten and broke them and threw them on the ground and made the, ground it into the powder and made the people drink it. That's one way to get the word inside you. Come on, somebody. But it symbolizes the greatest failure in worshiping other gods. We also see Aaron's rod, the, the rod that budded. Literally, a, a walking stick that has been disconnected from a, a vine, from a source, from a tree for who knows how long, and all of a sudden it produced life. It budded. But that represents 
the, the rejection of God's appointed leader because Aaron's the one who made the golden calf. And he said, the people made me do it. Come on, what a weak leader. I don't care how you threaten me. I don't care what you threaten me with. I will continue to preach this gospel because I don't give an account to you. I give an account to the Almighty. I love you. But your threats mean nothing. You stop preaching that stuff or I'm leaving. Like I said earlier, I hope I see you in heaven. I'm going to preach this truth because that's what I'm called to do. But Aaron didn't. And so his... His, his, the rod that budded symbolizes his rebellion as God's appointed leader. And then lastly, we have that, that pot of manna. What Aaron did is he, he took some of the manna that God gave them every day. He fed them every day for 40 years in the wilderness with this special bread from heaven called manna, whatever it was. I don't, it, was a, it was a Cinnabon, probably is what it was. Come on, somebody, right? It was a Cinnabon. And, and I love Cinnabon, but every day for 40 years... And eventually the people start complaining against God. And so Aaron takes some of that and puts it in the ark as well to remind them that this is a symbol of our rejection for God's provision. When God has given us everything and we still want more. Ooh, thank you all for you. And here's the crazy thing. I love this. Because there's the ark. There's the contents, but over the top of it sits something called mercy. Mercy that covers my worst failures. Mercy that covers my rebellion and sinfulness. Mercy that sits on top of the worst decisions in my life. But that's not the point I'm trying to make. Here's the point I'm trying to make. The red cord symbolizes the red blood and in spite of a lifestyle that Rahab was once living the red blood symbolized that you are covered now that who you were has been transformed and now you're covered and here's the powerful thing about the mercy seat once a year the high priest would cross through that veil from the holy place into the most holy of holies and on top of the contents of the ark was the mercy seat but on top of the mercy seat he would take the blood and cover the mercy that covered the sinfulness that covered the presence of God my point is just simply this there is nothing greater than the blood of Jesus that covers all 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 it covers what mercy what mercy only refuses to punish you with the blood covers it and says it doesn't even exist anymore mercy means I'm going to withhold punishment but the blood says you don't even get that the blood says it didn't even happen it's been forgiven and as far as the east is from the west that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us can I just find a handful of worshipers that are just grateful for the blood stand your feet with me stand your feet with me
I told our prayer team before service, this sermon's going to feel like a mutt. Mutt, M-U-T-T. Not a butt. That's what they thought I said. A mutt. Here's why. Because you're hearing me talk about relationships, but you're also hearing me talk about a prostitute, but you're also hearing me talk about the blood. Pastor, will you tie this all together? Here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do some self-examination just for a moment and consider what relationships in your life right now are those parasites that you need to cover in the blood, those predators you need to cover in the blood, those partners you need to cover in the blood, and even those promoters that got your back. Lord, cover them. Cover them in your blood. The blood of Jesus. The bl- cover them, Lord. Because here's what I recognize. If Rahab is only a prostitute to you, then Rahab can never be who she's called to be. I'm going to highlight this just for a moment. Pastor Bethel turns 29 on Wednesday. I'm kidding. That's a lie. That's a lie. I'm kidding. That's a lie. I won't say how old he turns. But here's what I do want you to know. Pastor Bethel is one of those rare, precious jewels in your life that cares more about promoting you than ever about promoting himself. Pastor Bethel, while I do celebrate your birth, I want to celebrate the fact that you choose to remain when you could have just been a partner, when you could have been a parasite. You're anything but a predator. You've chosen to remain a promoter in my life and in the lives of so many people. Come on, you better thank God for those rare gems. You better thank God for them. And when I first met Pastor Beto, come on, somebody. He was bartending. He was cussing like a sailor. He was doing his thing. He was living his life. And I met this man. And I could have looked at him and been like, we'll get you to church and we'll get you saved. But when I looked at him, I still remember this, Pastor Beto. You were 26 at the time. Three years ago, hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> we sat there in Olga's mother's house for hours, and we just talked about Christ. And I saw not the man that he was in that moment. I saw the man God was calling him to be. And I'm trying to tell you, if I didn't have the discernment at that moment in my life, if I wasn't able to spiritually discern, I would have just seen him as another guy who's considering getting his life right. Uh, uh, another Catholic who is, who's considering if he wants to follow Christ or not. But I was able to discern when I met him. God is bringing this man into my life just as much as he's bringing me into Pastor Beto's life. And ladies and gentlemen, here's my point. Peter, or Paul said like this in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay. King James, earthen vessels to show that the surpassingly great power is from God and not from us. 
This is why you have to have discernment, ladies and gentlemen. Because if all you see is the outside, you will only see an imperfect vessel. You will see a jar of clay. But if you can see who's called them, who has anointed them, who has redeemed them, who has put his spirit on the inside of them, you will see them for who they really are. And Pastor Beto, you and I both know this. Every human being in our life can potentially be an asset to our life. But I recognize that every asset will have its imperfections. And to those of us who have been just so traumatized by the people who have hurt us, what ends up happening is we become suspicious of anyone else God tries to send to us. And then you start calling it discernment, but all it is is suspicion. You're not discerning anything. Because if we're discerning, then we can discern the difference between imperfect and that girl is poison. Come on, somebody. Discernment helps me to distinguish the difference. This is why I don't live my life suspicious of anybody. I know a tree by the fruit it produces. I'll just wait. I'll, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. But I'm not going to be suspicious of you. I'll just wait. Oh, I see what you're producing. This is a good tree. It's producing good fruit. Oh, this fruit, th th this tree is producing bad fruit. I know what this is. I'm able to distinguish through discernment. And I need you to know this. If we are going to discern and develop relational assets, then let me give it to you real quick and I'm done. Let me give you these things. Just, just go ahead and fire them off for me, all, all, all six of them. Discerning and developing relational assets requires this. It requires intentionality. Thank you. It means I got to be intentional. I can't just expect it to happen. I, I got to be intentional. It means nurturing that relationship. So again, if, if, I, if I want to develop this relational asset, I can't just hope it will happen. I, I have to nurture it. I have to make it happen. I have to show them appreciation. Come on, somebody. It, how, what does it cost you to tell somebody thank you? Thank you for what you mean to me. Thank you for what you do for me. I've got a handful of you almost every week. You'll text me and just say, thank you for preaching that word. Even if you know Rev Dev did better, you're still like, thank you. Thank you for that word. Appreciate. Also, we have to have that mutual support. Because this ain't one-sided. This is not a one-way street. Mutual support. We have to pray and intercede for one another. Thank you for everyone who does this on a consistent basis. Always lifting myself and Pastor Olga and Pastor Beto and Pastor Vidi and our leadership and our church up before the Lord. Thank you for praying for us. You are, you are discerning and developing your relational assets. But lastly, sometimes the greatest thing Job's friends can ever do for me is to show up and shut up just be there for me just be there because sometimes you don't have a word from God sometimes you're just feeling things and I don't need what you're feeling I just need you to be there just to know just to know when it hasn't been my day my week my month or even my year just to know you're there trying to encourage you in these last days recognize develop the ability to discern the relational assets in your life 
This doesn't make you weak. This makes you wise. This is wisdom right here. I'm going to pray over you now. I'm going to close the service and I'm going to open up this altar for anybody that needs us to pray against the parasites and the predators. For anybody that needs us to pray for your partners. For anybody that's feeling called to be a promoter. Our prayer team is going to pray with you today. But before we do, let me just pray over everyone in this room. Would you just close your eyes with me just for a moment? And here's why I'm asking you to close your eyes because I'm asking the Lord to give you eyes to see. Lord, open up their spiritual eyes. Because God, we don't get to pick and choose who you send to bless us. We don't get to pick if it's Joshua or if it's Rahab. We just have to learn to discern who is this person God has sent to my life? Or who is this person Satan has sent to my life? So what we're going to do from here on our family is we're going to honor God by honoring the people God has sent to our lives. And I know some of you have been so hurt by past relationships and by, by past people and family, but here today, I just want to tell you, God is going to send something rare to your life. Don't treat it like it's common. Treat it like it's special. Treat it like it's unique. Treat it like it's valuable. Treat it like God sent it to you. And don't ever think to yourself, well, I'll just wait for God to send another. Because there's, when it's rare, when it's unique, it usually means it's one of a kind. So don't go asking God for another. Appreciate what God has given you now. Honor what God has given you now. God, give us the ability to recognize rare. Give us the discernment to distinguish what is imperfect and what is dangerous. God, help us. Help us to value those you have placed in our life and to honor them accordingly in Jesus' name. Before I open up this altar, if your sins have been like scarlet, today they can be washed white as snow because this is what the blood of Jesus does. It cleanses us. If you want to just leave this place knowing you are right with God, would you just lift up one hand right now? I want to leave this place knowing I'm in right relationship with God. Just lift up one hand. Keep it up there really high. Keep it up there really high. Would you just repeat this prayer with me right now? Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I recognize that you are holy. You are righteous. I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. Today, I repent of my sins. Today, I repent of my past. Today, I ask you, Lord, to come into my life and transform me from the inside out. I give you my life. May the blood of Jesus cover all of my sin. May the blood of Jesus wash me clean as snow. I am yours now and forever. Help me to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.